Hello listeners, Finex here. We've partnered with Professor David Simchi Levy of MIT to bring your team vital online training. Our January course, Supply Chain Digitization and Resiliency, is now available to book. Let David Simchi Levy teach you how to run a resilient supply chain in a VUCA world. For more information, head to our website, futureinsights.org slash finex, or find us on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's Transform Talk. You know, so I think what people are clamoring for is not so much going to a period where everything's predictable and steady state, but it's more, if you're familiar with the movie, you know, uh, Spinal Tap, you know, where the amp goes to 11. I think we've been, we've been operating at 11, um, you know, for the past couple of years in terms of chaos and uncertainty and disruptions. And I think people just want to get back to a more manageable form of chaos, right? So maybe they bring it back down to instead of 11, you know, maybe a, a five or a six, right? Um, but but a chaos nonetheless. I mean, we're always going to have hurricanes and tsunamis and labor strikes and, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, those things have been happening, you know, forever. You're listening to Transform Talks podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. Our guest this week is Adrian Gonzalez. Adrian is one of the leading analysts in the supply chain space, and throughout his 20-plus years in the industry, he's conducted research into everything from transportation management to logistics outsourcing and global trade management. I actually first met with Adrian at this year's Transforian event, which was significant for me as it marked my return to in-person events. And while I was there, I had the pleasure of sitting in on Adrian's presentation, which focused on dispelling the myth that supply chain is moving towards a new normal. And as Adrian explained then, there really has never been such a thing as normal in supply chain. And you know, I was so taken aback by his presentation that I immediately wanted to get him on the podcast so that we could dissect this topic further. Thankfully, he and I were finally able to sit down last week to discuss not only the idea of a new normal, but also how we can evolve the playbook for success, the benefits of collaborative shipping, and why he believes that networks will lead the world. Hope you enjoy. Hello, Adrian. Thank you for joining us in Transform Talks. Great. Well, Maria, thank you for having me. So you and I actually met in real life, which is a, a rare thing, certainly in the last couple of years, isn't it? Uh, in real life and in, in person, you and I met at the Transforian Summit in London. And I know that after that summit, which you gave the opening keynote, you, were, uh, you gave the, a speech, which was fascinating, and we'll get to it. But you wrote a blog piece detailing your experience, um, and maybe if you could maybe give us a little bit of a couple takeaways that you had from from that event and uh, what was in your blog. Yeah, no, sure. I, you know, it, for, first of all, like like you said, it was great to be in person uh, there. You know, it kind of reinforced, you know, the fact that um, there's nothing better than uh, being in person to network to learn from one another. Uh, so, so that was one key takeaway, right? It kind of reinforced the fact that peer-to-peer -peer learning, even though what we're doing here today is important, and certainly what we do in our program is important, um, it, it augments, it doesn't replace, you know, the power of, of in-person learning and, and networking. 
you know, the event was great. I mean, I think, you know, a couple of key takeaways uh, for me was when I looked at, you know, across all the sessions and all the discussions that we were having, it, it reinforced for me the need to more than ever walk the talk on collaboration. You know, so I've, I've been an industry analyst now for, for 23 years. Um, we've been talking about collaboration and the importance of collaboration for, for many, many years. Um, but the, the honest truth is that, you know, relatively few companies have been walking that talk. Um, but I think the question now is in light of the, the craziness that's happened over the past two years is if not now, when, right? Because I think more than ever, if, we, if we're going to try to achieve some of these objectives, right, if we, that, that companies have been talking about for a long time, right, to, to eliminate waste and inefficiency from, from transportation, for example, um, to improve risk and resiliency, um, sustainability, um, you know, the, the objectives that a lot of companies are, are, are having there. The only way to really truly achieve that is through, you know, greater, you know, collaboration. I think the other key takeaway is that, uh, you know, from a technology standpoint and, you know, for full disclosure, Transporian is, is a client of mine. But they and others have been talking about, you know, this migration, if you will, towards platform, right? And in terms of bringing connected communities of of trading partners together and then uh, adding software to that. And I think that's going to unlock and and enable greater forms of collaboration moving forward. So I think that's the good thing is that now the technology and and this, this rise of the platforms, if you will, is what I'm talking about. Um, is going to make collaboration, uh, remove some of the barriers to collaboration that have existed. And I think the third key takeaway, I know this is an area that's a passion of yours, Maria, is, is sustainability. I mean, I think it permeated just about every topic, you know, in that conference, even sessions that weren't folk, that, that, was, that wasn't the main topic of conversation. It ultimately was weaved into it in terms of either a byproduct or, or a benefit. Uh, so I think sustainability and the fact that it is now you know, um, you know, top of mind for a lot of companies and a lot of supply chain logistics professionals. And, you know, that's another thing that people have to stop sort of just talking about and actually start doing and doing effectively as well, because we see news clippings all the time of companies that are greenwashing, right? So people are getting called out for not actually doing things in the ESG arena that they should be. Uh, so, you know, I, with, I, I think I had some similar takeaways with you as well, from you as well. I, uh, for me, being face-to-face, as much as I love this sort of environment, chatting to people around the world, I mean, you can be in the comfort of your home or your location. I'm in my home, and we can still have a conversation and 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 uh, uh, collaborate on ideas too, but you can't replace the sort of face-to-face environment where you could be having a cup of coffee with someone and just conversation flows, right? You know, ideas flow. Um, but I, w- I want to talk about the presentation you gave because I was, you know, when you gave it, I remember thinking, well, this is really cool because you talk about that it's time to stop looking for the new normal in the supply chain, right? Because that's what we've been talking about, the new normal. This is the new normal. This is the next normal or whatever we call it. And you say you instead we need to focus on evolving the playbook for success. Now, without necessarily wanting to regurgitate what you said, when, you know, that the, the process of evolving the playbook, what does that look like? And, you know, and a lot of people that clamor for the new normal so, or clamor for the old normal, right? Um, but you said supply chain has never been normal. I love that. When you said that, it blew my mind. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, no, I think, it, you know, again, if you've been in this industry for, uh, you know, as long as I have, as long as, you know, you have and others, you know, 
I, I think we recognize that, um, that there really is nothing normal about supply chain management. I mean, it, it is really defined by exceptions. There's always things, nothing ever goes, you know, according, according to plan. I think, you know, I, the, the reason I think that, um, I think it's just the word normal um, that bothers me because normal kind of implies, you know, steady state, you know, um, you know, some level of predictability and, and so forth. And, and again, that's just never, yeah, that's just never been the, that's just never been the, the, the case. Um, you know, so I think what people are clamoring for is not so much, you know, uh, going to a period where everything's predictable and steady state, but it's more, if you're familiar with the movie, you know, uh, Spinal Tap, you know, where the amp goes to 11. I think we've been, we've been operating at 11, uh, you know, for the past couple of years in terms of chaos and uncertainty and disruptions. I think people just want to get back to a more manageable form of chaos, right? So maybe to bring it back down to instead of eleven, you know, maybe a, a five or a six, right? Um, but but a chaos nonetheless. I mean, we're always going to have hurricanes and tsunamis and labor strikes and you know so on and so forth. I mean, those things have been happening, you know, forever. But a new playbook is required because obviously we're not we're not in you know nineteen ninety seven anymore, right? You know, today's supply chains and the trends and the realities and the networks and everything about it is vastly different today than, say, 25 years ago. So in terms of, of what's involved with, you know, migrating to, to a, uh, a new playbook, I, I think, you know, we, we can probably spend two or three hours talking about what could be in that, in that playbook. But I think the most important thing is you need, like everything else, or any kind of change or transformation, you need C-level support. And I think if there's one good thing, if probably the only good thing that's come out of the pandemic is that C-level executives, CEOs, CFOs, and the like are much more aware about the role and importance of supply chain management today. And as a result, they're going to be more, um, at least presumably, more supportive of initiatives and investments and so forth to, you know, uh, um, you know move up the maturity curve, you know, from a supply chain perspective. So I think C-level support is first and foremost important to drive any kind of change within the organization. Um, I think secondly, and this is something we talked about, uh, you know, that was talked about at the conference was, again, walking the talk on something else that's been talked about for a long time, which is breaking down the silos that exist between business processes, between different applications, and between, you know, trading partners themselves, right? And that's going to lead to what we just talked about before, you know, greater collaboration. And then finally, you know, more data sharing and transparency, which is, you know, goes hand in hand with building more trust across trading partners. Um, so I think those, those three things to me are kind of foundational to driving a new playbook to address, you know, the, the, even though there's still going to be chaos and, and uncertainty and risk and so forth, you know, the, the tools and the approaches that we take moving forward need to be different. And those are the key things I think are needed to, um, you know, move in that direction. I think you're right. I, I like what you say about the fact that uh, supply chain has never really been normal. You know, it may have may have been different. We may have had uh, different challenges, fewer challenges back in 1997. But I think um, what we know for sure is that we can't keep doing things the way that we did. We now need to find different answers. And the way that we find different answers is through collaboration, isn't it? 
it's through working together, perhaps maybe even disrupting the whole concept of how you work together. I mean, if you look back 10, 15, 20 years ago, you'd never have collaboration between shippers. You'd never have collaboration between uh, companies in the same space, whereas now that's an actual an option, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's not only an option. I think it's going to be a, a requirement. You know, like, like I said before, when you look at, um, you know, some of the lessons learned from the, from the pandemic, I mean, we did research with our Indigo supply chain research community, and we said, well, what, what, what is a key learning from the past couple of years in terms of making your supply chain more resilient, let's say? Number one on the list, number one was develop stronger and more transparent relationships with our suppliers, right? Because... You know, they realize that all of a sudden, you know, factories are shutting down, uh, borders are shutting down, um, and they're not op- able to operate their factories now because, they're, you know, their raw materials, their components aren't coming in, or they have poor visibility to what's going on, to what, what's actually um, in transit to them, so on and so forth. So they, they realize that, hey, you know, we need to really focus on these relationships that we have with our trading partners, develop stronger, more transparent. I think to me, the key word there was transparent. Um, which implies, um, you know, we need to get to a, a place of higher trust be- between each other and truly approach our relationships from a, um, you know, win-win approach versus a I win, you lose approach, which historically has been the, uh, you know, the, the, the framework that a lot of relationships have been, you know, who's the 800-pound gorilla that's going to dictate, you know, what everybody else needs to do. And I think those companies that continue to, have that mentality in terms of I'm the I'm the 800 pound gorilla. Um, you know I think it's going to be more and more difficult for them to succeed or to be to build a more truly more resilient and less risky supply chain moving forward. And, and you know go back to a point that you just made about and I, and I agree with you that the supply chain function had a big light shining upon it during the pandemic. That's if there's one thing that that was good about it is that now supply chain is not seen as just a back office cost center function, right? It's something that can actually make the difference between a good business and a bad business, a resilient business and a non-resilient business. But I also would add something else to that along with the sponsor at the C-suite, right? Or maybe even a table at the C-suite. I think what I li- it's what I like to call my neighbor test. I don't know about you, but when I moved houses or lived somewhere, people ask me, what do you do? And I'd say, oh, well, I work in supply chain. It, nobody got it. Nobody understood what that is. Whereas now, my neighbors are coming to me and asking me what's happening in supply chain and what's the impact of, say, closing Wuhan now with the China zero tolerance uh, policy on COVID. What's that going to do to their supply chain? So I think we've it's become a mainstream topic, hasn't it? So I think there's an opportunity there to emerge out of the pandemic and out of all this crisis with new, maybe more sustainable, more robust and resilient business models, right? Oh, I, I agree 100%. And yes, I mean, the, the everyday consumer is, is, has become much more aware and knowledgeable about the role that supply chain and logistics has in their everyday lives. And um, I have similar experience. I mean, I, I coached Little League Baseball for, for many, many years. Uh, this is going back a, a number of years. And it was the same type of thing. I would meet other parents, you know, out in the ball field and they would say, well, what do you do? And I would say, well, you know, I'm an industry analyst. I call supply chain logistics. And it would be like this blank stare, like. Uh, what exactly is that? And now, to your point, um, 
people are asking me, you know, hey, I read in the paper, supply chain, you know, is that the reason I haven't received my couch yet? Or when is this problem going to be fixed? And, you know, and, they, and those that are actually reading up about it, they're actually now starting to ask intelligent questions, you know, about it, right, from, from all different dimensions. So I think your, your neighbor test is a, is a good one. So I think you, you are going to see that's another driving force to your point is that everyday consumers now are involved in the conversation and they're a driving force in all of this as well. Which will drive innovation, right? It hopefully will drive change as well, and uh, uh, hopefully it'll drive a lot of good things. Now, I, I want to get to my next question because I know that one of your areas of expertise is that of transportation, and you know I know that one of the topics that really irks you is the lack of supply chain visibility and trust, especially when it comes to hauling freight. Now, from what I understand, you don't believe that the issue comes down to one contributing factor, but in fact, many contributing factors. Do you think that this issue could I don't know, maybe in part be resolved by introducing more collaborative shipping? Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, collaborative shipping, you know, has been something that's been, you know, again, going about talking, talking, walking the talk, right? It's been talked about for, for a long time. Um, and th there have been, you know, examples of successful collaborative shipping uh, over the past, you know, two, three decades. Um, but but it's, always been, uh, it's always been a challenge because I think for a lot of companies, conceptually, they like the idea of collaborative shipping. Um, but then when they get into the room together and then they start working through the details, they realize that there is a lot of, you know, questions that they need to work out, right? So what if my shipment's ready, but yours is not? Who's going to be at fault? Um, you know, what if, uh, you know, how are we going to share the cost of the shipment equitably? You know, so on and so forth. Um, but, but I think that, um, again, going back to what we talked about before around sustainability, when you look at some of the objectives companies have around sustainability, particularly in the areas of transportation uh, and logistics, which which for many companies you know represents a, a very large percentage of their you know uh, carbon footprint, um, in order for them to truly achieve those objectives, um, collaborative shipping has to be on the table, right? We have to get to a point where uh, we have to be smarter uh, about how capacity is used out in the industry. Got to be smarter about not shipping air, um, you know, where you have, uh, you know, uh, trucks that are only, you know, 60, 70 percent, you know, full or you have a lot of empty backhauls, you know, coming through. So, so I think um, it's, it's not so much a question of a nice to have anymore. I think if we're truly again, going back to the point we made earlier, if we're going to truly address the problems and the opportunities that everyone's talking about, collaborative shipping has to be part of the have to be, has to be part of the answer. And do you think that, you know, the conversation around collaborative shipping is also something that can help solve visibility and trust, but also address the issue of sustainability? I mean, going back to the talking the talk, walking the walk kind of thing, you know, on uh, on that, how much of the new playbook do you think for success will rely on achieving sustainability in the supply chain? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a great point. I, I think sustainability, quite honestly, is becoming less of a choice. Uh, since you talked about, you know, companies talking a lot about sustainability, but not walking the talk on it and greenwashing. And, and that's certainly been the case for, for a lot of years. Um, but I think today uh, sustainability is becoming less of a choice because you've got a, a number of different drivers out there. You've got, you know, regulations. Uh, obviously, in Europe uh, has been leading the way with regulations. But even here in the United States, you know, the Securities and Exchange Commission, for example, uh, has proposed a... Uh, a new rule requiring companies to report on their uh, scope one, scope two, and scope three, you, you know, emissions. 
and report if any uh, sustainability factors could be material to their financial impact. So that's that's a proposed rule. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of discussion and debate, you know, around that. But that's happening. Um, earlier this year in the United States as well, um, uh, at Costco, seventy uh, percent of their shareholders voted, despite you know opposition by the board of directors. They voted for uh, Costco to start measuring and reporting on their emissions. Again, not just scope one and scope two, but also scope three emissions. So you've got shareholders that are also a, a driving force here. And then you've got customers and employees as well. So, so I think it's becoming less and less of a choice, but more of a, a requirement. Um, and in fact, you know, in, in a survey we did with our Indago supply chain um, executives, you know, we asked them, is sustainability becoming a measurable um, objective within your supply chain operations? And this is two years ago that we asked this question. And 60% of them said yes. Uh, and I can almost guarantee you that if we ask that question today, that percentage would be higher. Um, so so the, moving forward, the, in terms of the playbook, it's no longer going to be about, you know, the, the classic balancing act of cost and service and, and efficiency. Companies moving forward to succeed, they're also going to have to balance uh, in addition to those things, because cost and service and, and efficiency is still important, but they also have to mix in now risk, resilience, and sustainability as part of that playbook. I think with regards to sustainability, there is just no more choice, is there? You know, we, we're going to have to find a way to make this happen, and, and that's that, whether it's from pressures from within, like your Costco's uh, example that you have here, or pressures from outside in terms of shoppers uh, voting with your, their feet, right? Going to more to brands that are more ethical, more sustainable, et cetera. Um, I, I want to move the conversation now to a different topic uh, around um, software and around uh, platforms and networks and technology. Um, I want to talk to you about Mark Anderson's famous quote, software is eating the world. Now, from what I understand, you have an update you want to provide to that. Uh, from what I gather, you believe that networks will lead the world. And uh, oh, can you explain to me what you think that is and what evidence you see for that in today's supply chain? Yeah, no, uh, I, I've been a big proponent of, of network-based, you know, models for, for, for a long time. And, uh, you know, I've always loved that quote, you know, software will lead the world. But I, I think it needs to be updated uh, to software and networks will lead the world uh, moving forward. And, you know, the, the reason is that software is just not enough, right? Especially for, you know, business processes that, you know, extend beyond the four walls. Of, of your company that involve many external trading partners, you know, shippers, uh, I mean, uh, you know, suppliers, customers, carriers, logistics service providers, government agencies, so on and so forth, because you, you need a way to connect to all of these external parties to exchange data and information um, and, and to collaborate and, and, and transact processes across all these trading partners. So that's where, you, you know, connectivity and networks, you know, come in. And a great example is visibility. Uh, again, visibility is not new. Uh, I mean, there have been visibility solutions since I've been in the industry. And if you went back to the early 2000s, you know, th there were a number of, of, of software start startups that were focused on the visibility space. And, and they looked a lot like today's visibility solutions, right? So they provided dashboards where you can see metrics and pie charts and what was happening. But the difference back then in 2000 was that, well, how do you, how, does, how is that data populated? Where do you get the data to feed those dashboards? Well, back in 2000, it was up to every company. If they had a thousand trading partners, they had to connect a thousand 
you have to, they had to make a thousand individual connections to all those trading partners and they had to keep managing them and updating them because obviously their trading partner networks were changing all the time. So this became an ongoing uh, challenge and cost factor and very labor intensive and, and so forth. And the reality was that most companies were only connected to a relatively small percentage of their trading partner network, mostly via EDI, uh, which was costly and um, you know, it was latent, right? Because the information wasn't real time and so on and so forth. You fast forward to today, and you know, we talked earlier about the rise of platforms, which have this connectivity network as part of it. Well, now the model is similar to what we experienced with LinkedIn and Facebook, right? We connect once to this platform and now we're connected to thousands, if not tens of thousands of, of trading partners, not only the ones that we currently do business with, but the ones that we could potentially do business with in, in the future. So, so I think that's where, um, again, I think that's where the promise um, and the opportunity for platforms come in, in in today's environment because they're bringing in not only the software that's required, but also the connectivity, the, the community of, of connected trading partners that's required to, to provide the data, the information, where then the, the software then provides the, the medium to then execute on, on that data and that visibility that, that, that comes in. I mean, I think the other proof point, if you will, is that we've seen the merging of business models over the past, you know, certainly over the past decade, the business models of third-party logistics providers and technology companies. So the, the line is blurring you know, between them. I mean, if you look at third-party logistics providers, they don't call themselves, the leading ones don't call themselves 3PLs anymore. I mean, they position their networks, they position their technology as uh, you know, a big part of their value proposition these days. And likewise, a lot of the you know, technology companies, they're positioning their platform, the, the number of, of trading partners that are connected to their platform and their network is a big part of their value proposition. So, so I think that's something that, that's also happening as well. You're seeing those two worlds starting to converge, the world of third-party logistics providers and the technology uh, providers as well. I agree. So to close up, because I know we don't, you know, I could sit here talking to you all day, but uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on something. You know, you're, you're a fellow host of a show uh, like me. You're constantly speaking to people from such a different number of backgrounds and subjects uh, on the supply chain. So what trends are you spotting from the people you're speaking to? And I think the last part of that question, is there anything that you think isn't being spoken about enough? Great question. I mean, I think some of the trends that we've, we've already talked about, you know, today, you know, certainly sustainability, like I said, is um, something that is gaining more and more attention for, for a lot of companies. I think if I had to sum, summarize it, I think a lot of companies today, and I think this was triggered, uh, well, I know it was triggered in part by, by the pandemic, is they're looking to, how, do they re how can we reduce complexity in our supply chains? Um, you know, I think for a lot of retailers, a lot of CPG companies, I mean, they're seeing, you know, for years we had SKU proliferation, right? You know, 30 different varieties of, of hand soap, you know, 15 different flavors of the same type of cereal. I mean, do, do we need all that, right? So when you, when, you, when you look at all that complexity that's introduced into the supply chain in terms of creating demand forecasts for each of those products and tracking them and, and then manufacturing them and shipping them, you know, so I think a lot of companies are taking a step back and saying, how can we reduce complexity? Not only in the, the varieties and the number of products that we produce and sell and, and market and so forth, 
but also within our supply chains, right? There's a lot of talk these days about, you know, nearshoring or reshoring um, to say, hey, is there a way to shorten our supply chains, right? They've become so global so long over the past few decades. Is there a way to, again, reduce that complexity, minimize the number of cross-borders, you know, borders that they need to cross, you know, reduce the number of, of modes that they need to travel, so on and so forth. So I think that's an area that a lot of companies are really seriously looking at today is reducing complexity within their supply chains. Um, you know, in terms of what's being overlooked, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about visibility, uh, you know, today. And, you know, when people th think about visibility, they generally think about, well, visibility to orders, to shipments, to inventory, to assets, right? And that, that's, that, that's been the main focus of the conversation. But there's two areas that, that's gaining uh, attention that I argue visibility, the definition of visibility needs to expand to. One is something we already talked about today, sustainability, right? So it's now visibility to greenhouse gas emissions and the carbon footprint of your supply chain. And that's happening. I think the other area that has been getting some attention, but not enough, is visibility to forced labor across your supply chain. And, and this is something that's been a problem for many, many, many years. Um, it's a problem that I think is underreported. Um, but if you look at you know, recent events, uh, you know, for example, here in the United States, um, uh, the, the Biden administration passed the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act with regards to you know, the uh, uh, forced labor taking place in, in, in China and putting in place uh, import restrictions for, uh, uh, for products that are produced in that region if they, they can't be verified that forced labor was not used to, to produce them. If you look at, um, you know, even in Europe, you know, Germany uh, last year proposed a law that, um, you know, would set up compliance uh, procedures for companies with 3,000 or more employees to, uh, you know, to create a system to, you know, prevent or, or to identify uh, potential um, forced labor uh, and to provide a system for people to be able to report that in a, in a safe way. Um, and then even here in the United States, just last week, um, or, or last month, I should say, in Alabama, um, you know, a Hyundai parts supplier and a, and a and temp agency uh, were fined after investigators found, you know, that they had workers as young as 13 years old working, at, you know, in one factory. Um, so it's happening. It's there. Um, and I think that's another area that I think companies need to put a spotlight on and where visibility needs to be applied to make sure that we, um, you know, eradicate forced labor and supply chains. Well, you know, I think that that's, and that, that could be a whole podcast of its own, really, which is the fact that there seems to be this obsession, I guess rightly so, on carbon capture and, uh, uh, you know, sustainability and circularity in supply chain. But the other elements of ESG are very important, too. And so the ethical elements of it, the forced labor elements, there's so much that is covering supply chain. I'm going to add to that. And I think there's another area that perhaps we haven't been talking about a lot, and that's cybersecurity, um, especially with a war raging in another part of the world. Um, I think that's something that perhaps we don't talk enough about in supply chain. I don't, I don't know if you come across it a lot as well, but to me, those are the one of the big issues. I think you're absolutely right that we need to be hearing more about. No, I agree 100% with cybersecurity. That's a, that's a great uh, call out. Uh, you know, we, we've actually uh, um, addressed that topic on, on Procter Logistics for the past you know couple of years, and you know there've been um, you know very high profile examples of cyber attacks related to supply chain logistics that have 
you know, significantly disrupted some some high end, you know, some some leaders in the industry that have had a, a disruptive effect on on many supply chains. So you're absolutely right. I think that risk is only going to grow in the years ahead. Adrian, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts with us and uh, for contributing to the topic and the conversation. It's such a pleasure to talk to you and have you here on Transform Talks. Well, Maria, th- thank you for having me. It was, it was great meeting you in person, uh, you know, uh, recently. And uh, I appreciate the invitation to, you know, uh, have this great conversation and l- look forward to, you know, having uh, another conversation in the near future again. Thanks so much. And for those of you listening, we'll catch you later.